0: Hey, thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you wanna know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chesty.
1: Well, happy Easter, Victory Church. How are we doing today? Everybody excited to be in the house, amen. Edmond campus, I welcome you. I'm so glad that uh, we're joining you at the Edmond campus. Pastor Wade's telling me it's a packed house, and you guys are on fire. We're excited about what God's doing in Edmond, aren't we, OKC? Those of you watching online, we're honored that you're with us. You can be seated where you're where you're standing at. Uh, I want to just welcome you. Maybe you're a first-time guest. Maybe this isn't your typical home church. Maybe you attend another church here in the metro, or maybe you're uh, from out of town, or maybe this is your one visit a year to church. <laughs> Wherever you're at, no matter, no matter why uh, you're here today, we're excited and we're honored that you would choose uh, this house to, to bring your family to. And we believe that God's gonna speak to you today uh, and minister to you today through, through this message and through uh, God's presence. I wanna talk to you for just a little bit on a subject that if you'll allow it to, I believe will speak to you no matter if you're a believer or an unbeliever or any other thing like that. Because really, as we live this life, we go through hardships, we go through, we go through difficulties. And if we're being honest with each other, sometimes we will think at any given point in life, we may think this thought, is this it? Is this, is this what my life is gonna to amount to? Is this my career? Is this my mental capacity? Is this, is this my, my mental health where I'm at? Is, is this it? Is this the best this life has to offer me? And so what I wanna do is I wanna to talk to you for a little bit just on, on this subject And I pray that it brings you encouragement and richness today. This this is the title of my sermon today is that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. And what I wanna do today is I wanna, uh, I know this is Easter where this is a resurrection Sunday, but I kinda wanna back up a little bit and and pick up where I left off last week. Last week, we talked about the triumphal entry and how God uses donkeys even to, to, and that we're the donkey. Sometimes we're the donkey in the story and today I want to pick up right there and kind of pick up at the end of the triumphal entry. I'm going to go to Luke's account. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to, to the book of Luke. <clears throat> so um, up to this point, we know the story that Jesus sent his disciples on in the city ahead to get the, get the donkey, bring it back. They threw their cloaks on the donkey. Je- Jesus and the donkey begin to make their trek towards Jerusalem and people are throwing down palm branches saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. And all of this point, all of Jesus's life has led up to this moment, to, to, this, to this encounter, this Holy Week, the beginning of Holy Week, which ends today. But the next account in this passage I wanna to read to you, it's in Luke 19, verse 39. I wanna, this is, this is a, a portion of scripture that we call the triumphal entry. And we, we use the word triumphal. We think this is a celebratory and amazing moment, and it was, but I wanna show you the heart of Jesus when this was happening. Verse 39, it says, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheer. That's pretty amazing. I'd like to see that. Verse 41 says, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, I want you to watch this. On the triumphal entry, it says that Jesus began to weep. Verse 42, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way of peace. But now it's too late. I want you to catch these words. And peace is hidden from your eyes. So this triumphal entry moment, Jesus is weeping. Jesus is left with wishes and weeping. And he is sad because the people don't see what he sees. He says, what I see has been hidden from your eyes. And these are the same group of people that just a few short days later would go from crying, Hosanna, to cry and crucify him, because they didn't see what Jesus saw. What what, what were they missing? They had a different perspective of what it meant for Jesus to be king. They agreed that Jesus was king, but it was a classic case of mistaken identity. They thought Jesus was coming to do something that they pictured Jesus doing, but Jesus was coming to do something far greater than than they could have ever imagined. And their expectations of Jesus, I want you to catch this, their expectations of Jesus in their, in their life did not line up with the true purpose of Jesus in their life. And we need to think through this for ourselves and, and maybe you're here and you don't really serve the Lord right now and you tried that once before and it just didn't work out the way that you thought it was gonna work out or you got frustrated or you thought that when you serve the Lord, everything would just kind of fall in line and life would become easy. And we set expectations of Jesus, just like these people were doing at this time, and because they expected Jesus to become this great political leader, but he wasn't. And they expected him to kind of become this commander of the armies that would help overthrow the Roman Empire and the tyranny of the Roman Empire on the Jewish people, and he just wasn't. That's not the type of king that he came to be. He came to do something different. They thought he was gonna be a king that came to save, and from their perspective, he surrendered. And they thought that he was gonna be a king that, that came to rescue, but, but he retreated in their mind. And they thought he was gonna deliver them, and they felt like they felt like he disappointed them. And if you've lived life for any amount of time, you'll have seasons of life where life just feels disappointing. And even at times, if you're honest enough with yourself, you might even say that Jesus disappointed you, that you had high hopes and you had a plan and you thought that things were gonna work out better than it has, and sometimes it's very easy for us to, to, to blame Jesus, just as Mary and Martha did when they were disappointed in Jesus when Lazarus died, because they sent word to Jesus and said, come and heal your best friend, Lazarus, and Jesus delayed for four days and shows up late, and Martha comes out with her hand on her hip, like, Jesus, you should have been here because her expectations of Jesus was one thing, but Jesus came to not deliver her expectations. He came to defy her expectations because he had something greater that he wanted to do. It wasn't that he wanted to crush them. He said he wanted to reveal to them a new aspect, a new component of who Jesus was. So the big question I wanna ask you today is, what do you expect Jesus to do in your life? What What are your expectations of Jesus? If you wanna have any sort of disappointment in life, whether it's in marriage or whether it's in relationship or whether it's in your career, the only thing that will make you become disappointed is unmet expectations. So if you're disappointed in Jesus, if you're disappointed in, in a relationship with the Lord, I would simply ask you, what are your expectations of Jesus? We need to challenge our expectations because Jesus said, I'm weeping, I'm mournful because what I had for them, I want you to catch it, was hidden from their eyes. They had hidden, the the, the, the true purpose of Jesus coming to the world was hidden from their eyes. They thought Jesus was coming to just save them. Jesus was like, no, I got a much bigger plan than that. I'm, I'm here to save you too, but I'm not gonna save you from the Romans, I'm gonna save you from your sin. And not only am I gonna save you, I'm gonna save everyone for all eternity. And yes, I could show up and I could get rid of the Roman Empire and I could just save you today, but I'm actually here to do something bigger and greater than what you thought I was here to do. I'm actually here to save all of mankind. So the question we must ask ourselves is what if my plans are just too small? So if I have expectations of Jesus and Jesus is disappointing my expectations, is it possible that my expectations of Jesus was limited to me and limited to my current situation when really God is coming to try to do a much larger work in our life? What if our plans are simply too small? Uh, not too long ago, I pulled out this, this journal. I try to journal from time to time. I'm not great at it, but I try to journal real markers in my life or real moments or real um, struggles that I'm having mentally or spiritually. I'll journal those things and I'll kind of journal my prayers to the Lord. And not too long, long ago, I came across a journal that I had wrote um, over 20 years ago when Michelle and I had just got married. I had this dead-end job, I thought it was a dead-end job, I couldn't stand it. I mean, I basically, y'all, I basically worked for Dunder Mifflin, okay? I delivered paper, all right? And, and I was just miserable, I didn't like it, I just felt like there was something bigger, something greater in my life that, I, that God wanted to do. And so I just began to journal my hopes and my expectations, and Lord, if, if only this, and if only that, and if only this could happen, and if only you could do this in my life, And 20 years later, as I read back on that journal, you know what I realized? My plans were too small. My plans were much too small. So today, maybe we just need to take a step back and say, how big is God? And how small are my plans? And how narrow-minded is my expectations of Jesus? Uh, if you ask a two-year-old, if you go up to a two-year-old and say, how much does your mommy love you? You, you might see a two-year-old say, my mommy loves me this much. And they're trying in some way to measure how much love their mother or their father has for them. But their, their, their limitations are the, the, the span of their, their arm width. When we would know that there's no way that, that you can ever quantify the amount of love that a parent is giving to her child or, or his child. But it's the same way in this manner, our expectations of Jesus. How big do you think God is? I think he's, I think he's, I don't know, maybe this big, this big. What if, what if our plans, what if our expectations of Jesus are simply far too small? Jesus disappointed their expectations, but that was not the end of the story. Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus, we acknowledge the blood that was spilled. We acknowledge on this Easter morning, God, before we celebrate your resurrection, we honor and we notice and we remember the blood that was shed. And we're thankful for that blood. It still speaks. It still heals. It still delivers. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And so we thank you, God, for the blood that was shed for us. Glory to God forevermore. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. So let's continue this story a little bit further on. In Luke chapter 23, verse 44, it says, By this time it was about noon, and darkness, darkness, I want you to focus in on this word, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone. Imagine that. And suddenly the curtain in the, uh, in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. So in the middle of this uh, Easter Sunday, when we're all here dressed up in our fancy clothes and, and looking good, which by the way, you guys look really good. Look at your neighbor and say, you look good. Hopefully that was your spouse or somebody that you know. If not, I mean, hey, maybe your relationship started on Easter morning at church. You looked at some strange fine man and said, you look good, you know? I don't know, maybe. Maybe it worked out for you. But I think we would all acknowledge here today that if you're sitting next to your spouse, just, fellas especially, just look straight ahead. Don't smirk, don't do anything here. Give you a little advice. We didn't wake up this morning looking the way we look now, right? We all had a little bit of a process to go through. We had to go through process. We look good now. You look good. All y'all look good. Edmund campus, y'all look good. But it takes a, it takes a process. How many of you love a good steak, a good hamburger? Anybody out there, Edmond Campus, anybody like a good steak? Now I want you to close your eyes and I want you to picture the steak. I want you to picture this, this slab of meat of whatever it is that you want. If you're a vegetarian, you can picture vegetables. It's okay. <laughs> now, I am willing to bet you that no one pictured the slaughterhouse. You pictured the end product. You pictured it cooked, it's sitting on your plate, it's sizzling, it's got the toppings, it's got everything you wanted. But we all know that that went through a process first. Uh, I have a friend of mine one time that invited me to go, which I wouldn't recommend, to a meat packing plant for a tour. Highly do not recommend this. I didn't eat bacon or sausage for like six months, I was like, why do we eat this? This is disgusting. I saw a grown man with rubber boots up to his knees with a snow shovel shoveling meat into a hopper, and I'm like, what in the world is happening right now? But it's because it had to go through a process. Uh, in, in Hebrew, there's a Hebrew word for, for the word altar, and it's called Mishbach. And it literally is translated the place of slaughter. The place of slaughter and we get all dressed up on Easter morning and we celebrate resurrection and we should and we're gonna get there in just a minute, but we would be mistaken if we don't pause first and acknowledge the blood, acknowledge the beating, acknowledge the pain of an innocent lamb led to the slaughterhouse for us so that we could live a life to the full, so that we could be righteous in God's eyes. When God looks at us, He doesn't look at us the way we look at each other and the way we even look at ourselves. God looks at us through his son, Jesus. And when he sees us, he sees purity. He sees righteousness, but it was because of the mess. And we need to acknowledge this, that without the gore, there is no gospel. Without the mess, there is no ministry. It 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 was necessary. And so this morning, we acknowledge this. In John chapter 19, verse 28, It says, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. So Jesus came on mission. And he's he's hanging on the cross. And the Bible says that at that moment, he knew that his mission was finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, it, put it on a hypsis branch and held it up to his lips. Now I want you to watch verse 30. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. It's finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, why is this such an important phrase? This word, this this phrase, "It is finished." It wasn't like peace sign. It wasn't Jesus saying, "I'm out. See ya." You know, it wasn't a departing. It wasn't. It, he knew that his mission was was finished, and and he knew that in this moment, when he said these words, "It is finished," he knew that he was becoming the fulfillment of over 300 prophecies from Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament, messianic prophecies that had happened hundreds of years prior. He knew that in this moment, he was putting a cap on it. He was putting a seal on it. He was saying, I have now fulfilled all of the messianic prophecies of the coming Messiah. I am he, and I have fulfilled all of these, these, these prophecies. This, this Greek word, it is finished, is the Greek word tetelestai. Say this with me, it's a fun word. Say, "to Tetelestai. tetelestai. It's, it's the Greek word for, tetelest, for, for it is finished is the Greek word tetelestai. Now in this day, in, in the Greek language they would have used this word it's, it's hard for us to really fully understand this word in, in English but they this would have been a very common word not not just in the Bible uh, in biblical theological terms but in everyday vernacular and what's what's beautiful about this word is when Jesus said it is finished to telestai he's actually fulfilling or, or even encompassing all of the meanings of this word in their common vernacular so for example, uh, a servant, in this, in the, to a servant, to Telestai, means I have completed the mission you have gave me to do. So a servant might come back into his, his or her master and, and he was instructed to feed the horses and he would have walked in or she would have walked in and said, to Telestai, I finished the task that you asked me to do. Jesus was the suffering servant. He is the one who came to serve and Philippians has said that he, he, he came down, he emptied himself of his deity. He emptied himself of his God, of, of the God being in him. And he became fully human in this moment. He became a human and he became as a servant so that he could say, hey God, to Telestai, to Telestai, I finished the task that you have called me to do. To the priest, the priest would have used this word. The priest would have used to Telestai to examine the, off the sacrificial lamb, they would have examined the sacrificial lamb because it had to be spotless, it had to be blameless, it had to have no defect, and the priest would have said, "To telestai. to this sacrificial lamb is perfect." To Jesus was the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb. To uh, the merchants when, when in trade deals, the merchants would have used this word. To meant it was an accounting term, and it meant your debt. Has been paid in full. So if you came to a merchant and you had a a, a running tab and you paid it, the merchant would have looked back at you and said, "To Telosai, to Telosai." Jesus came to pay our debt in full. He paid the sin of the the debt of our sin, the things that a debt that we couldn't pay even if we wanted to. There's no amount of perfection you could perform on earth to justify yourself or to cleanse yourself of sin but Jesus said to tellastai to it's finished one more uh, in a business partner they would have used this term to and it would mean that our agreement is finalized or our covenant we're making a covenant with one another you sign here I sign here to Jesus was the new covenant his blood was the new covenant it was a partnership. It was, a, it, was a, it was something he did for us. And even on the cross, when he said tetelestai, he is saying the covenant is done. It's sealed. Another really f- awesome thing about this word tetelestai is in the Greek language, there's lots of different tenses. There's, we, in English, we have past tense, present tense, future tense. In, in the Greek, they have a past tense, but they have another tense called the perfect tense. Tetelestai is actually a perfect tense. And what this means in Greek, it means that it was completed in the past, but the results of what happened in the past continue on into the present. So when Jesus said tetelestai, he wasn't just saying, hey, everybody, everybody from this point backwards, it's finished. No, he was saying it happened today, but it goes 2,000 years into the future, into 2022 for our lives and for our children, and our children's children, and our and our great, great, great grandchildren, because it is a perfect tense. It is God is saying it is finished, it is done, for generation upon generation upon generation. In Colossians two thirteen, it says, "When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ." He forgave all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our illegal indebtedness to telestai It's paid for which stood against us and condemned us, but he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers of authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus cried out, it is finished. It was the the finishing of one thing, but it was the beginning of something else. Jesus was saying, I'm done in this moment, but the full story has not fully been told. He says, it is finished. But that's not the end of the story. Let's continue this story a little further in Luke chapter 24, verse one. But but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in. I want you to really catch this, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. Because why, because it was empty. The tomb was empty, we're gonna come back to that. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. And the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? And then the verse that we all love on Easter morning, the one we celebrate, he isn't here, he's risen from the dead. It's very interesting to think that something empty could be something so hopeful, Uh, In our language, in the English language, the word empty is actually not a great word. We don't love this word, you know? If you have an empty home, if you have an empty bank account, uh, if you have empty pockets, you know, we don't really like the word empty. But the strange dichotomy of of the the context of of this passage is that it it is in the emptiness that fullness is actually found. And the the emptiness of the tomb, and now think about it even this way, something that was paid in full, to die it's paid in full, created something empty, the empty tomb. And then the empty tomb is what created the fullness of us as believers in Christ. And, and so rarely are you able to take the word empty and the word full and combine them into meaning something so meaningful as this. And in, in, in fact, I would probably argue that Jesus might be the only instance where emptiness is something that cre- actually be- begins the process of bring- bringing something into complete fullness. And really, we all seek fullness. Uh, here at Victor Church, we like to say, we live life to the full. To the full. We, we, we love this idea that Jesus said that he came to bring life, but not just life, life to the full. And really, whether you're a believer or not, whether, whether you believe in Jesus or whether you don't believe in Jesus, you actually seek fullness too. We just seek fullness in different ways. Uh, We seek fullness in an earthly perspective. We we, We seek fullness from wealth, we'll seek fullness from validation, we'll seek fullness from any sort of satisfaction we can bring, and we'll chase the things of this earth to find acceptance, to find validation, to find satisfaction in some capacity, but really at the end of the day, what we're all doing in our humanity is we're trying to fill the emptiness that we feel. We're trying to bring fullness to our life. But the difference between earthly, the, the, the seeking of earthly fullness versus the seeking of godly or kingdom-minded fullness is very distinctive. Earthly, think about it this way, earthly-minded fullness is the idea that you empty this world to find fullness for yourself. Like I'll empty everything that this world has to offer me if I can try to find fullness in myself. I'll empty relationships, I'll empty my, 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 my organization, I'll empty my company, I'll empty other people if I have to, it, it, because I'm trying to find some sort of fullness. And, I, and you've heard the phrase, everything this world has to offer, we seek it. We, we, wanna, go, we wanna travel, we wanna see the world, all of which are, are amazing things. But if we're seeking these things to try to fill some empty void, we're gonna, we're gonna miss it. There's a, there, then there's a different type of fullness. There's a kingdom-minded fullness. A kingdom-minded fullness is one where we empty ourselves first to find fullness in Christ second. And like everything else in the scriptures, it doesn't make sense, right? We we empty ourselves first. We we create emptiness in order to, to, to bring fullness. But watch what Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 16, 24. Jesus told the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me for whoever wants to save, watch the weird, crazy dichotomy of this. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So in order to find something, I have to lose something? Like this is so against our culture and our, in our, and our earthly mindset. But Jesus says, if you want the fullness of what I have to bring, you must empty yourself of everything that this world has to offer, everything all of your selfish ambitions, everything that you would naturally seek or or your instincts would tell you to do, we must empty ourselves of those things in order to to first receive what God wants to bring fullness in and really Jesus, this is the beauty of this Jesus is our model Jesus doesn't ask us to do something that he didn't first do in Philippians chapter two verse, verse five. It says, have this attitude in yourself. So he says, when it comes to yourself, this is what you should do. You should, you, which also is Christ Jesus. So, so watch what Christ did in verse six. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse seven tells us what he did. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He emptied himself of his deity. He put on flesh and came down here and hung out with us. In in Colossians chapter two, verse nine, it says, for in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. So he emptied himself first. And then the Bible says that he then lived in the fullness on earth in bodily form. He emptied himself first. Why did Jesus do this? Because he came to bring life and bring life to the full. So Jesus is our model. He emptied himself first. In, in John chapter 10, verse 11, it tells us how he did this. It's, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He laid down his life. He emptied himself And then in Colossians chapter two, verse 10, it talks about us. So so verse nine says that he is the fullness of deity in bodily form. And then verse 10 says, in Christ you have been brought to fullness. We have been brought into fullness in Christ. So what is our response? Our response is to continually remind ourselves that we are to empty ourselves first. Empty ourselves first. When the world tempts us with things, when we're tempted to, to chase things, when we're tempted to, to self, be self-gratifying, to, to chase wealth, to chase all the things that this world has to offer in, in, in order to try to find some sort of satisfaction, what we must always then do is remind ourselves over and over again that no, I must empty myself and remind yourselves, I said this several weeks ago, but we, re- we need to remind ourselves that God is attracted to empty things. He's attracted to empty things. Elisha told the the woman to go and find empty jars and bring them back and the Lord will fill them up. What was she instructed to do? Go create emptiness. Go find empty things and bring it back to the Lord and let the Lord fill it up with something that is satisfying, that will nourish you and satisfy you. The very next chapter, Elisha told them, dig this valley full of ditches. Create something empty. Dig something up. Find something to eradicate from your life and then turn around and say, Lord, will you fill this up with something that can truly satisfy me? Because what I have tried to satisfy, what I have tried to do, I have found that, that, that it's, a, it's a bottomless pit. It's a bottomless pit. I cannot find satisfaction. I cannot find gratification on this earth. We can only find true fullness when we go back and seek the things that the Lord is asking us to seek. So that is, is the end of this story, but it's not the end of our story.
0: Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message and here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church slash give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.